Hey, welcome to Krista CMS Clinical Educational Podcast Series. I'll be your host, Michael Williams. And today we are actually going to discuss with Dr. Brandon Euler, when should you intubate? A long discussion on just more than one or two conditions that you're looking at, but a multifaceted approach using five indications for intubation. So sit back, relax, and uh, we'll get started here in a few minutes. But I do want to remind everybody that uh, there'll be some resources for this lecture. They'll be on the Krista CMS educational page where employees can uh, take a test to receive CE credit and also have those source links to be able to look at other data associated to this lecture. Look forward to seeing you and sit back and relax. And here we begin. Well, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Boy, lunch was good today, wasn't it? That was really good. (laughs) So so what are we doing today? Uh, So today we're going to, we've talked a lot about airway management, um, but we're going to kind of talk a little more about it. We just did a tips and trends on it. We did. We're going to kind of build off of that uh, tips and trends that Dr. Donahue did. So hopefully it'll be good. It's going to be a lot more information as far as airway management, intubation. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about intubation and, and DSI. Why, Why are we talking management? so much about intubation? Because it's, it's a very important procedure and skill that we need to know how to do and know how to do well and know indications for it, contraindications for it. And so it's complex. It's a very complex and one of the most highly skilled procedures that we, we high risk skills that we, we have y'all do. Um, so it's important that we uh, keep ourselves uh, educated and update on it. Do you feel that we're doing enough intubations or not enough, or is it just a careful balance? Of I think it's a balance. And... I, I would never say we're doing too much. I would never say we're doing too many yeah. or, uh, or, or not enough. I yeah. think it's, it's a case by case basis. Yeah. Um, you know, there's going to be times where we are intubating a lot of patients and there's going to be times where we're not, but you know, there's, there's things to look for as far as guiding you to intubate a patient. And that's what we want to hit on today. Okay, cool. So I think it'll be good. Let us know what you think. We'll say I hope everybody's staying cool. It's extremely hot out there. I think the other day uh, at my house it was like 108 degrees. Um, it, crazy. And it was windy too. Yep. So I felt like I was I stepped into a convention oven. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it just... feels like that every time I walk out. <laughs> I'm ready for the cold weather and winter to get here. Um, I'm sure all of y'all are experiencing the same things and seeing patients that are having heat exhaustion, heat stroke. I know we are in the ER, so... Make sure that y'all are staying hydrated, cool. Listen to last month's podcast about heat-related illnesses. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you have, um, go back and listen again. Uh, it's, it's good to refresh on it. Um, quarterly CE days are going on right now uh, here at Cotton, um, and I hope that all of y'all were able to come in. If you haven't, uh, I think we have a couple more this week. Yeah, so we did, what, last week, two days. This week, I think there's two days, and then I don't know, but I think there's another one. And then there's going to be a makeup for those that, <clears throat> for whatever reason, weren't able to make those. Good. I hope that y'all are getting a lot out of these. Um, the goal is, is to have y'all come in quarterly to get more education hands-on uh, with the, the clinical team here. You probably have to be more in-depth and specific yeah. about certain cases or procedures or whatever it might yep. be. This one that we're actually doing has to do with uh, transports, interfacility transports and uh, managing those patients. Yep. And y'all have a scenario 
Yeah, right? yeah. There's actually a PowerPoint where um, our educators go over, and then from there uh, we go into uh, cases in the rooms with small groups Good. and have those discussions. Good. I hope those are going well. Let us know your thoughts, concerns, and if there's anything we can do to, to improve on those. So I know we kind of mentioned already, we're going to talk about airway today. Uh, we've talked a lot about airway management. Uh, I think our very first podcast was on airway management and DSI uh, and RCPG. So we're going to hit back up on that uh, to, to educate a little bit more about when to intubate, who should you intubate, and things to look for and guide you towards making that decision. Today is a lot about the nuances of who do we intubate. Um, we've talked about it. Uh, intubation is one of the most skilled and high-risk procedures that you perform pre-hospital and, and you know, in uncontrolled, chaotic environment, strange environments. It's a, a procedure that's life-saving, uh, but has a significant amount of risk with it if it's not performed correctly or if it's not performed at all. Um, there's a lot of harm uh, when we do not intervene on airways uh, that do need intubation. Uh, and so it's important that we know know that y'all know what you're doing, know that y'all are educated, uh, and that y'all are proficient in, in this skill. Um, Dr. Dunahoo wrote a, a really good article beginning of this month. Uh, I think it was titled GCS of 8 Intubate. It talks about the GCS score uh, and the mantra of GCS Lesson 8 Intubate. Uh, we'll talk more about that today as well. Uh, just to give you kind of a refresher on it. If you haven't read through the tips and trends from Dr. Donahue, uh, please go back, try to read it if you can. Uh, there's a lot of good information in there. So the question is, is who do we intubate? You know, how do you make that decision? Um, I know everybody kind of has their their thoughts of it, and, and it's really going to be a clinical decision. Um, and it's several things you can look at. Um, it's a difficult decision. Sometimes it's extremely obvious this person, this patient needs to be intubated. Um, sometimes it's not obvious, uh, very nuanced uh, as to whether a patient actually needs to have their airway protected and be intubated. If that doesn't work or it's obvious that they aren't going to tolerate BiPAP, then we need to know who do you intubate. So there's really five indications for intubation uh, that I think about. Are they able to maintain their airway patency? Are they protecting their airway against aspiration? Have they failed to ventilate? Are they failed to oxygenate? And then what is their anticipated course? Are they going to deteriorate? Then they need intubation. Uh, and we want to expect that and not be put in a situation where we're emergently intubating a patient that uh, is having some airway compromise because we didn't intervene earlier. So those are all things that you want to think about. And you can ask yourself several different questions. Is there a failure of airway maintenance? So is the patient talking to you? Are they answering your questions, following commands? Um, are they protecting their airway against aspiration? Are they vomiting and altered? Um, is there a failure of oxygenation? So we want to look at their pulse oximetry. Um, are they 50% uh, on a nasal cannula non-rebreather? That might be a patient that's failing mm -hmm. to oxygenate. Um, and so it may be that you need to intervene. Uh, if that's with BiPAP, great. If it's not, then you need to start thinking about intubation. Is there a failure to ventilate? So we want to look at the mental status of the patient. Uh, are they alert oriented? Are they following commands? Do they have their own respiratory drive? Um, and, and so are they ventilating on their own? And then again, what's the anticipated need for intubation? So patient in a burn, they have singed nasal airway, they have soot in their mouth, you know, is that a patient who in the next 30, 45 minutes is going to have a very edematous airway, cause of obstruction, and then need intubation? 
but you've waited too long because you didn't anticipate that. Yeah. That's a patient that probably needs to be intubated early to prevent complications uh, from, from being in a burn and having the, the uh, edematous airway. So those are things to look at, questions to ask yourself. Um, there's a lot of things that, that you know people have talked about in the past and in the medical literature and emergency medicine. So you know, look at the gag reflex. Um, are they vomiting? What's the risk of aspiration? And what's their GCS score? So I'm gonna. Those are the three big things I really want to hit on today. Um, outside mm -hmm. of you know, who do you intubate? What are the indications? And what questions should you ask yourself? Um, so I want to start with the gag reflex. And so this is a big one that that we hear about, and I hear about a lot. Is well, the patient had a gag reflex, so they didn't need to be intubated. That's not always the case. A gag reflex is the body's ability to phonate and sense swallow secretions. And, and not aspirate. And so if they're phonating, um, they're swallowing secretions, that's a better sign that their airway is protected than the gag reflex alone. So if you know they don't have a gag reflex, they're at risk of aspiration, but maybe not. Um, you know, if they're phonating to you, they're swallowing secretions, then, then maybe they're protecting their airway. Uh, and we'll get into some information about that here in a little bit. There's some data to support that not every patient has a gag reflex. Not every normal patient has a gag reflex. So I would not use a gag reflex. I don't recommend using that to determine if a patient needs to be intubated. It doesn't reliably predict the need for intubation or the ability to protect the airway. Uh, and that's based off of multiple studies. Up to date, um, kind of talks about the gag uh, reflex uh, and it's a mechanism that does not contribute to laryngeal closure and airway protection and a sizable segment of the normal adult adult population lacks a gag reflex. So you could have a patient sitting to you, talking to you, swallowing secretions. You can stick the tongue depressor down their throat. They may not have any gag reflex, okay. but that's not a patient that needs to be intubated. They're sitting there talking to you. They're protecting their airway. Now, if they're unresponsive, you stick a tongue depressor in their mouth, they don't have a gag reflex. They're not talking, they're not swallowing secretions. That's probably a patient that needs to be intubated. But you probably knew that before you even checked the gag reflex. Sure, sure. So I don't use a gag reflex. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever checked a gag reflex before I intubated a patient. I think at the field, whenever they have that type of patient, they're putting the LPA with the BVM. Yeah. And then they don't gag, and then the next thing is I'm that much closer to intubating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, if you have a patient, you put an OPA in, they don't have a gag reflex. But you're oxygenating, ventilating, then you know maybe you don't need one. What if it's the a drunk guy that's passed out on a couch, uh, yeah. and you put an OPA in, and they're ventilating, oxygenating with just an OPA in? Mm -hmm. I've had multiple patients like that that they're drunk, uh, intoxicated. I put an OPA or an MPA in, and they're oxygenating because they're they have their own ventilatory drive, so they're ventilating. Uh, they just needed their airway opened up a little bit, and then. A lot of times these patients will wake up and rip it out and they walk out on their own hmm. and they never need intubation. So it's it's definitely something that you look at, but it's not one indication that says, okay, this patient needs intubation. It's not by itself. It's not by itself. Yeah. It's looking at the global picture and, and, and the clinical picture. And so kind of getting into that, we don't want you to wait too long um, just because a patient has a gag reflex. So, you know, waiting... Uh, and missing an opportunity for a safe intubation that now becomes a problem uh, is not what we want. So we don't want you to wait too long just because you're looking at the gag reflex. So waiting, waiting for a patient that, say, 
has anaphylaxis until they start developing strider or, or worsening hoarseness just because they have a gag reflex um, is not what we want. You need to intervene before they get into complete obstructed airway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting into aspiration, this is another one that kind of everybody looks at and thinks about what is their risk of aspiration. So airway reflexes are theoretically important in evaluating for airway protection, but studies do not show a consistent relationship between the reduced GCS and their risk of aspiration. Um, aspiration and GCS will go kind of hand in hand. There was a study done by Ednet et al, um, Ednet and several other authors, that found an increased frequency of suspected aspiration pneumonia in patients admitted to the ICU with a GCS of less than eight. However, 10 out of 68 of those patients with a GCS of nine to 14 also had radiographic evidence of aspiration. So GCS didn't increase, didn't change their risk of aspiration. Hmm. There's been some prospective uh, observational studies that found significantly lower rates of aspiration pneumonia in patients with impaired consciousness. Another study, Duncan et al, uh, found 73 uh, patients, or they followed 73 patients, that all had a decreased level of consciousness that was secondary to intoxication and had a GCS ranging from 3 to 14. 12 had initial GCS less than 8, and 5 had a GCS of 3. None of those patients in that study had aspiration, and none of them uh, required endotracheal intubation. Um, there was one that got admitted and had a GCS of 12 that subsequently got intubated. But even patients that were a GCS of three didn't get intubated, didn't have any increased risk of aspiration um, and um, hypoxia or, or airway compromise. And these were intoxicated patients. Hmm. Uh, and Dr. Donahue and his tips and trends talks a little bit about that as well. You know, we don't intubate every intoxicated patient. Um, so with that study and other studies, it's evidence suggests that certain unconscious obtunded patients can be safely monitored for clinical improvement without a definitive airway. Uh, in trauma, early intubation is considered uh, in the context of traumatic brain injury to avoid aspiration and hypoxia leading to secondary brain injury. So hypoxia, uh, hypoxemia, and traumatic brain injury is important. We want to prevent patients with a potential for traumatic brain injury, uh, subdural hematoma, epidural hematoma, uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage from being hypoxic because that can cause secondary brain injury that we don't want. Would that fall under the anticipated? That would fall under anticipated, yep. So you have a patient, fell, they're altered, unconscious, they have obvious traumatic injuries, head injury. Yes, we don't want to intubate needlessly, but if they're hypoxic and they're desatting, then that may be a patient that needs to be intubated. Research in traumatic injuries uh, usually focuses on mortality, as an outcome rather than aspiration and GCS score causing aspiration. Uh, there is a study, a prospective study of 412 adult major trauma victims with severe TBI that had a GCS of three to eight per paramedics mm-hmm. um, with the sole use of GCS not accurately predicting desaturation, aspiration, or duration of ICU admission. So this is a study that supports not necessarily <clears throat> using GCS as an indication for intubation, and that mantra of GCS less than eight, intubate. Uh, Getting more into the GCS score, the Glasgow Coma Scale, um, if you don't know the history behind it, it was created in 1974 as a way to evaluate and document 
the level of consciousness in patients with traumatic head injuries is a key component in the evaluation of a patient's level of consciousness. It's used across emergency medicine. It's used in pre-hospital medicine, neurosurgery, and trauma surgery. Uh, so it was really developed for trauma. Uh, we have brought it over to the medical side, and we use GCS for every patient almost, uh, especially when they're altered uh, or unresponsive. Uh, it is, GCS score is criticized for being very complex. Mm. It lacks consistency uh, and reliability amongst providers. Um, concordance uh, between attending emergency physicians and calculating a GCS score has been reported as low as 38%. And in one third of cases, vary by two or more points. So we're, we're not great at, if I give a GCS score and Michael gives a GCS score, we're not great at, at getting to the same number. Uh, and that's across immersive medicine, neurosurgeons, trauma surgeons, uh, paramedics. Um, so it's a great score, but it's not perfect. And there is you know, some variability amongst providers. Uh, there was a study, a uh, prospective study done amongst neurologists that looked at GCS scores and inter-rater agreement. They had 71% inter-rater agreement in 267 patients in the ICU by a neurologist. So even with neurologists giving a GCS score, it's not great. The amount of variability in calculating GCS score has significant changes in therapy when utilizing hard cutoffs to make critical decisions. And this goes back to that GCS less than eight intubate. So, you know, Michael gives a score. If we used eight as a hard cutoff, Michael gives a score of six, that patient would be intubated. But say I give a score of nine, a little bit of variability there. If we use a hard cutoff, GCS less than eight intubate, I wouldn't intubate the patient, but Michael would. And so it's, we don't want to use GCS score alone as, as a way of deciding if a patient needs to be intubated. So the GCS score, I know y'all know about the GCS score. It has three components to it. It's motor, verbal, and eye movement. Several different components to each of that, uh, whether they're localizing to pain, uh, withdrawing to pain, they have no movement. Um, are they speaking coherently? Are they mumbling coherently? Uh, no verbal at all, and then their eye movement um, um, is the same with pain, verbal. Um, and so I encourage you to go back, kind of go through the GCS score. Um, I don't need to rehash. I know y'all kind of go through that, um, but I would recommend going back, reviewing GCS score and how it calculates that. I like how you use the, uh, the term EVM. Mm-hmm. Right, because you go EVM four, five, six. Yep, that's my that's that's how I remember the scoring of, of GCS. Is yeah. you look at their eyes. Okay, what's their score? One through mm-hmm. four. What's their verbal? Uh, one through five, and then movement one through six. Yeah. Um, and so that's just how I remember it. If you have other ways to remember it, um, I encourage you to keep keep your. They got the little badges that they. Look yep. At. Yep. Perfect, and that's great too. <laughs> I think that's great too. Uh, but I definitely want y'all to go back, review the GCS score, how to calculate it. Because uh, it is important that we know how to do that. Um, so this whole mantra of GCS lesson eight came from ATLS and the East Association for Surgery of Trauma. Um, and it was in their guidelines, score of eight or less is a, as a indication that a patient may need airway management. It's been promoted by ATLS and East Trauma Practice. Um, it is commonly, as I mentioned earlier, applied to patients that are not in uh, involved with trauma, so non-traumatic cases uh, of attumbation um, and unresponsiveness. The evidence for using GCS score in a medical patient is not great and it's not clear. 
because it was developed for trauma. Uh, the principle behind intubating patients with a GCS of eight or less is a theory that they will have loss of their protective airway reflexes. Mm. Uh, there was a study done by Moulton et al. Uh, that demonstrated a strong correlation with decreasing GCS and absence of the gag reflex. However, in that same exact study, it showed patients with a GCS of greater than eight had attenuated or absent gag reflexes. So this goes back to when I talked about patients that have a gag reflex and evaluating gag reflex. Not every patient has a, a gag reflex to present, begin with. Not everyone has one uh, or they have a weak one. And so utilizing that does not help um, when with the GCS score. There was a subsequent prospective observa observational study of 208 adult patients by Rothray et al. Uh, that re-looked at GCS score, gag reflex, and who do we intubate. Um, it did show a significant correlation between reduced GCS and absence of cough and gag reflexes. However, this study also found that 36% of patients with GCS less than eight maintained a normal gag reflex and 24% maintained a normal cough reflex. It also found one fourth to one fifth of patients with a normal GCS, so GCS of 15, had an absent gag or cough reflex. Hmm. So when we are looking at who do we intubate, do we use GCS score? Do we use gag reflex? And, and for me, it's more of what's the whole clinical picture? What does a patient look like? Are they oxygenating? Are they ventilating? Um, are they maintaining their airway on their own? Are they talking to you? Are they swallowing their secretions? Um, are they unresponsive? Are they vomiting and unresponsive? Uh, and what's their clinical course? So is this a patient that was in a traumatic injury, has potential for uh, traumatic brain injury, they're hypoxic? We want to prevent hypoxemia, hypoxia in these patients. Uh, is it a patient um, that was in a fire and they have inhalation injury and they have soot in their mouth, they have singed nasal hairs? Is that a patient that may need intubation? Is it a patient that was in a fire, doesn't have that, but they have a circumferential burn to their uh, chest and back? And so, you know, that's a patient that uh, probably needs intubation because they're not going to be able to ventilate. Mm -hmm. Um, until they get an uh, escherotomy um, by the surgeon. And so really it's, it's about what's the clinical picture uh, of the patient. Uh, and utilizing GCS is a tool in determining if a patient needs to have their airway protected or intubated, but it's not a tool that you should be used alone. Mm -hmm. uh, gag reflex is a tool, but it's not one that should be used in isolation. So, you know, I, I want to get away from, well, GCS of, five patient needs to be intubated. Well, they had a gag reflex, but they weren't responsive. They weren't talking. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, needed to be intubated or didn't need to be intubated. Right. Um, we want to get away from that and look at the clinical picture, look at the facts, look at their vital signs, look at their oxygen saturation. Are they ventilating? Uh, and, and what's the, the course that they may take? Uh, are they going to deteriorate or not? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, I, there were some studies looking at, uh, from a physician perspective, what is the physician gestalt versus utilizing these tools and gestalt um, is sometimes just as good, if not better, in predicting airway compromise and need for intubation. So um, that's really all I have today.
Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. I hope it was that was good. Uh, it kind of builds on a lot of the airway um, podcasts uh, that we've done. Um, I do encourage you to go back and listen to Dr. Donahue's tips and trends. And if y'all have questions or you know, any concerns about anything, um, like I always say, I'm here. Uh, and I want y'all to reach out and, and sure. talk to us. So recapping just real mm -hmm. quick, there's five indications for intubation. Yep. And I think the one that you really bring to the table, because everybody I think that I've seen focus on the ventilation and oxygenation, but you bring to the point the airway patency and protecting mm -hmm. the airway and anticipating deteriorating course. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the ones that truly we need to, bring and focus to, and then realize what, that GCS alone's not it? GCS alone is not Nothing alone it. is a Nothing, nothing in isolation. Okay. It's yep. got to be all together, a complete yep. clinical picture. Yep. That's Absolutely. awesome. Well, thanks for uh, bringing that, because that um, definitely uh, is something that needs to come up, and hopefully everybody will listen to this and play it over for yep. our new folks. Absolutely. Go back and listen to the very first one. I think it was the first one that yeah, we did DSI. Yeah, it was DSI. Uh, and I know we've done a couple of other airway uh -huh. podcasts. And so go back, listen to the airway podcasts. Uh, if you listen and there's something that you are unsure of or, or we misspoke, um, let us know. And yeah. we can we can talk to you about it and make another podcast if yeah. you need to. Come in and talk. Come in and talk. We yeah. would. I would love to have more of y'all come in. Yeah. Well, good deal. Well, thank you again, Dr. Orman. Absolutely. I appreciate your time. And everybody else, we will see you on the next one. Make see sure that month. you uh, go to our webpage and uh, do those CEs to get some hours for this. Yep, absolutely. Y'all be safe. Bye-bye. Oh,